0: Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. There was a story of an old evangelist. To this old evangelist, he had a single solitary message. He would go around everywhere that he went and he would preach, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. That was the one message that this evangelist traveled around preaching wherever he went. And that John 3.16, most of us know it. But John 3.16 is that perfect summary of what Christians call the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of God giving eternal life to ruined sinners. The gospel is the good news of God redeeming ruined sinners to everlasting life. Life, But you know, the Bible just doesn't have John 3.16, and that's all that it says. It tells us John 3.16 is followed by a few other verses. And those verses that come before John 3.16, they tell us what Jesus is being given over to. He says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now, that story of Moses lifting up that serpent, it didn't work out well for the serpent, but it worked out great for everyone who looked upon the serpent who was afflicted. It worked out great for those who were afflicted because they had life. Jesus redeems ruined sinners through being lifted on a cross, and His lifting on the cross is what we call crucifixion. And think about this for just a moment. The death of Jesus... The death of Jesus is the way that we know God. Have you ever thought about that? You cannot know God except through the cross. And John 3.16 tells us that Jesus died on the cross because He so loved the world. And so the emphasis is the lifting of the sun. The emphasis that is placed in John 3.16 and what comes before John 3.16 is this lifting of the sun. And this gospel that we preach is an amazing gospel. It, it tells a story of the sun being sent. Well, where was he sent from? He was sent from the heights of heaven to the lower regions of the earth. And then he took on flesh. You know what that refers to? That refers to that moment that he, without ceasing to be what he was, he became what he was not. Without ceasing to be what he was, he became what he was not. God and man united in one person, one Lord Jesus Christ. But why did this God take on flesh? He took on flesh so that he could die so that he could take the so that he upon his flesh could take the wages of our sin and make atonement for us so understand this beautiful imagery that the gospel portrays of the sending of the son the son who's being lifted the one who has come below is lifted up on a cross so that through being lifted up on a cross he could draw all to himself he came from above down below, so that He could be lifted up. And in that lifting up on the cross, He could draw all to Himself. That's exactly what John says in John chapter 12. It says that when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And He draws people to Himself through a cross. And so, His coming low to us was really not so much Him coming low as it was Him lifting us up. And I don't want you to ever move beyond the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that we proclaim. That's what we're all about. We can't move beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't move beyond the cross of Jesus Christ, and we shouldn't even try. But here's what we know. And we know this, I know this through pastoral experience, I know this through my own experience, and you know this through your own experience too. We try. We try to move beyond the cross. God's design for us is not to move beyond the cross, but to move deeper into the cross. Paul says to another church, he says this, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ, and Christ what? Crucified. It's a crucified Christ that I stand here and proclaim week after week. Listen, it's a crucified Christ that makes First Baptist Church of Starkville a gospel church. It's a crucified Christ that we get to move deeper into this morning as we turn to the most significant section in Galatians. Go ahead and turn there. Galatians chapter 3. Probably one of the most significant passages in the entire book of Galatians is what we're fixing to encounter this morning. Galatians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14, but just because of our purpose this morning, I'm going to introduce things by reading out loud Galatians three ten through 14, though we're going to focus on the first, uh, first nine verses as well. Hear the word of our Lord from Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, there you see one of our key words that we've been looking at, this word justification. And so, we're diving deeper into justification. Now, don't be uh, rubbed by that word. Don't let that word take you by surprise. Justification simply refers to being accepted by God, and that's all it refers to. I know it's a big word. There's a lot behind that word, but just simply just remember it this way. It refers to being accepted by God, and we are accepted by God through the cross of Christ. That is, God pardons us. He invites us in. He accepts us through the cross of Christ. This is the whole reason that He sent His Son. So, the problem that Paul is addressing with these Galatians is that they're trying to get beyond the cross. They're trying to get God's approval by works of the law. And these Galatians, they're substituting knowing God alone to knowing Christ alone plus. Instead of Christ alone, they have Christ plus. In other words, what they say when they put that plus sign, or what we say when we put that plus sign, is we say that Christ is not enough. The death of Christ, the cross of Christ, is not enough. We say when we try to add a plus to the, the, that uh, Jesus equation, we say that the cross of Christ didn't really accomplish anything. The cross of Christ didn't secure our salvation. Jesus didn't pay at all. He just paid some of it. And Paul has a word for such thinking. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul has a word for that kind of thinking. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. The ESV is, uh, is being nice in their translation. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But you know, the, if you were to go and read the Greek, you would see that that word there is with an a-alpha uh, prefix, which means that that is against or uh, not. It's a negation. And that word there is mind. So, in other words, he's saying these Galatians don't have a mind. It's, the, the ESV is being very kind, but the literal Greek is mindless. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 24 as he encounters the disciples on the Emmaus Road. He calls the disciple... Foolish or out of their mind for not believing the Bible about His death and resurrection. And I love the way that uh, a certain translator, John B. Phillips, translates chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's how Professor or Dr. Phillips translates this. He says, Galatians 3, 1, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I need that word sometime. When I feel that the cross of Christ is not enough, when I feel that the cross of Christ has not made an end of my sin, when the enemy strikes me after my succumbing to my anger or my pride or, or whatever else, or even, even, to those, uh, even to those good things, when I'm tempted to turn to those other things, even good things, instead of, instead of turning my mind completely over to the truths of the gospel, I need the apostle who stood up to Peter, who stood up to the Galatians, to come to my religiosity and say, Andy, my dear idiot. I need him to say that to me. I need him to say, Andy, have you lost your mind? Andy, what's wrong with you? Did you forget the cross of Christ? Now, listen to me. I said that I need Paul to tell me that. I don't need you to tell me that, all right? I need Paul to tell me that. But I want you to understand this. This is, this is not a word of condemnation. This is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call to the sense and sensibility of the gospel to these Galatians. Now remember this too, just in case we get tempted to call somebody an idiot. Remember you know, we have this little thing in the south where we say bless your heart, right? And after you, you can say whatever you want after that as long as you say bless your heart first. Well Paul sort of said bless your heart. Look at chapter 1 in verse, uh, in verse 1, he, or in verse 3, he says grace to you and peace. You see, he said bless your heart you dear idiots, that's what he says in chapter 3. But he says grace and peace before he calls them idiots. But the argument is still just as strong. You see, Paul wants them to remember the cross. He wants them to remember the same thing that he reminds the Philippian church, that he who began a work is going to be the one who's going to complete the work. He is responsible for the beginning. And Christ is going to finish what He started. And it's in those in-between moments when we're tempted to despair, where we need a holy wake-up call, like a shot in the arm, someone to arrest our senses and to remind us of the good that the cross of Christ has accomplished. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians that we are, we are having been saved ones, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. In other words, that literal is you are the having been saved ones. It's, it's that full of a term in the original language. You have been saved, you are saved, and you are being saved, and you will be saved. It's all of those things. And so, in between, this God who, who began the work— is going to see it through. And in the in-between, we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up, to remind us, to tether us to the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ has accomplished everything necessary for you to be right with God. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is receive. All you have to do is by faith, trust in Jesus. It was one of Martin Luther's sermons. Martin Luther was preaching to his congregation back during the Reformation days, and what makes the Reformation so dramatic is this is when the gospel, this is when this not not Jesus plus penance, not Jesus plus Hail Mary, not Jesus plus all of these indulgences, Jesus alone saves, nothing else. Not Jesus plus church attendance, not Jesus plus all these Jesus alone saves. And so, one day, Martin Luther was preaching to his congregation, and he told his congregation the gospel. Listen to what he said. So, when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares to you that you deserve death and hell, you tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I will be also. Friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, by which you are saved, by which you are being saved, and by which you will be saved. Or in another sermon, Luther says this, learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. I am Your sin. You have taken upon Yourself what is mine and given me what is Yours. You have become what you were not, so that I might become what I was not. So here's what I want to do in the time that we have this morning. I want us to look into this text, and it's really a—we could preach an entire six, seven-week series just on this text, but I want us to just skim the surface this morning, skim the surface of these truths to to learn that we have to turn our eyes upon Jesus— And keep them there. So hopefully you've got your sermon journal. This is about the fourth week that I've advertised this thing now. Hopefully that you've got that and you're going to follow along and take notes. You can turn to the the date here. It's September the 5th. It's marked for you where we're going to go. Some of the main ideas and it's all right there for you. Hopefully you have that. If you have that or maybe you have your own notebook, write this down. Number one, number one, hearing is believing. Number one, write this down. Hearing is believing. So, notice the emphasis of the argument before us in Galatians chapter 3. Look at how Galatians chapter 3 starts. Paul said, Jesus, look at this, was publicly portrayed as crucified before their eyes. Do you see that here in verse 1? Now, we just have to ask ourselves a genuine question. Instead of glossing over that or just letting that fall prey into what comes next, let's stop there for just a minute. Galatians was written some two decades after the crucifixion of Jesus. In other words, none of them were there. Further, as we know, Paul himself, as far as we know, we should say, he didn't see the crucifixion. He might have been in the region. He could have been there. But it's, it was sort of an insignificant thing that was happening, the crucifixion of Jesus. Paul didn't see the crucifixion. But what does he mean that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? And here, beloved, I wish that I could just stop here all morning and just let us enjoy this, but for your sakes, we won't. Here we get a glimpse into the mystery of preaching. Here we get a glimpse of the mystery of what's going on in this moment right now. Preaching. And let me just say this, and then I'll have to move on from this a bit. I believe in preaching. Now, I know some of you that have known me this long. I don't have to convince you of those things. But let me go ahead and rest your mind just in case. I believe in preaching. One of the reasons that I believe in preaching is because of this verse right here. Look at, for example, how many times? Go back to chapter 1. Look, for example, how many times preaching is emphasized in Galatians. Let me just mark these for you very quickly. He says it in chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 1 and verse 9, chapter 1 and verse 11, chapter 1 and verse 15, chapter 1 and verse 23. Look in in chapter 2, in chapter 2 and verse 2. And all of these points are leading up to what Paul is saying in chapter 3 and verse 1, where he says, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before their eyes. How was He publicly portrayed as crucified before their eyes? Through preaching, through preaching. And true biblical gospel-centered preaching, listen, is a portrayal of the crucified Christ. True, gospel-centered, Jesus-driven preaching, biblical preaching, is a portrayal of the crucified Christ. This is why Richard Baxter, by the way, who is the Puritan pastor who wrote the book on preachings back in the way early days, he says this. Listen to this. Listen to what he said in his book. He said, I preach as never to preach again as a dying man, Dying men. Some have said to me, "They've said, Andy, you know, why do you why do you preach with such intensity? Why do you preach a certain way? Why do you why don't you do little sermons or things?" Here's the reason: because some of you may never get a chance to hear the gospel again. I may never get to preach the gospel again. But woe is me if I don't preach Christ. I remember a story of D.L. Moody before the Chicago fire. He says, oh, that I would have taught my congregation before the fire outbroken Chicago. Oh, if I would have preached more clearly the gospel. Billy Graham, in a ride in a limousine with John F. Kennedy before he's assassinated, said, oh, I wish I would have preached the gospel to Kennedy one more time. Baxter says, I preached as never to preach Again, as a dying man the dying men, there should be such an intensity to our preaching that, that lays bare all of our notions of trusting in self so as to hold the Son before the congregation in order that they may look upon Him and live. Don't look upon me. Don't look upon a personality. Don't look upon somebody that you like, that is the sum of all of your feelings. Look for a crucified Christ. First Baptist Church of Starkville, no matter who stands here, you have the attitude of the Bereans. When the preacher comes behind the sacred desk, you say to that preacher, sir, we must see Jesus. And there's only one Jesus to see. And it's a Jesus who was crucified for you and me demand the proclamation of a crucified Christ. And that fact that Paul rested in the crucifixion of Jesus, the fact that Paul's ministry was a ministry marked by him being tethered to the cross of Christ, this gives him the whole strength of his argument. He says, what's wrong with you people? He says... Someone must have cast a spell on you. Look at what he says here. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Then listen to his argument. Let me ask you this, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see that he, what he reminds them of? He reminds them that they receive the Spirit. They are the recipients of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, and here's another sermon that we could preach, the Spirit has marked the difference in their life. How has the Spirit marked a difference in their life? Well, he's saying, didn't you receive the Holy Spirit? In other words, he's referring to a common experience that all of them have had. That moment when they first believed. They were sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit they received the spirit but how did they receive the spirit that's what i want to focus on today not what the spirit brought and the change that he made that we're going to look at that later but how did they receive the spirit look at the language of the bible in verse 2 not not by works of the law but look at this hearing with faith what's our first point this morning hearing is believing hearing is believing Remember, the works of the law that Paul's referring to here, they're not bad things. They're good things. But they're just not saving things. Salvation comes through hearing and receiving a message. Faith comes by hearing. And through hearing with faith, these Galatians have received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is at work both to justify, that is to declare righteous, to give them the approval of God, as well as to sanctify, to cause them to walk in their justification, to cause them to live out the internal change. The Spirit is at work in both of those things. He who began a work is going to complete the work. He's there to justify and sanctify, to pardon and to make holy. And we should make light of the fact that the Spirit is the one working in our salvation. Salvation, if you're saved this morning, then salvation is a supernatural work of God. God works on us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And the problem with these false gospels that these Galatians have been exposed to is they substitute the work of the Spirit for works done by human hands, works of the law. But the work of God is what saves. And here's his argument. If the work of God is the work that saves, then how can you add to the work of God? And Paul says, adding to the work of God is madness. Have you lost your minds? Obviously, someone has enchanted you. That's the only reason Paul thinks, this is the only reason that I would think that that anyone would substitute the work of the Spirit for a work of the law. You must have lost your mind, but how many of us lose our minds when we think maybe in the deep corner of our mind that if I just perform a little better, or let me speak to myself just for a minute. As a preacher, if I just preach a little better, if I study a little more, all of those things are good things, right? But listen to the argument if I preach a little better, if I study a little more, then God will accept me. You see the danger? Paul says it's madness. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Learn the lesson that Thomas learned. Hearing is believing. Now, that's number one. Let's move on to number two. Number two this morning. Here's what we need to learn to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Number two, blessing brings obedience. Number two, blessing brings obedience. Now, I said that the way that I intended. I know that we're accustomed to hearing that the other way. We're accustomed to hearing it as obedience brings blessing. And in some cases, that's true, but that's not the point that I believe that I'm, I believe the text is making here that I'm drawing out for you. Look at this we go over to talk about Abraham. Abraham. So, Paul uses the father of the faith, Abraham, to say this. The eternal covenant, the everlasting covenant, we should say, the everlasting covenant is not the covenant of circumcision. That's what Abraham received, but that's what he passed down. But Paul says, let's go back a little further. The everlasting covenant is not a covenant of circumcision, uh, that is, works of the law done by human hands. The eternal covenant or the everlasting covenant, is a covenant of faith. Abraham believed God. Look at the Bible. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Chapter 3 and verse 6. Abraham was blessed before he obeyed. He believed God, and God credited him as righteousness. He didn't believe in order, he didn't, excuse me, he didn't obey in order to be blessed. He was blessed, and then he obeyed. Blessing enabled his obedience. Just think, for example, and this is what Paul's doing by calling into our minds the story of Abraham. Just think about what happened when Abraham was called. God called him out of a land of idol worship to follow the living God. What happened? He received the call, and then he obeyed. He received the call, and then he obeyed. Receiving, and here's the point that I want you to understand. Receiving the call to go to the promised land was indeed itself a blessing. And here we go back into the mystery of salvation. Why on earth did God choose Abraham out of all the other peoples on the earth? And here's my best theological answer. Are you ready? I have no idea, but here's what I know, Abraham was blessed because he was blessed, he was able to obey because God told, listen, he was able to obey because God told him the way. Abraham, leave everything that you know and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And he did. He was blessed. And then he obeyed. Notice this. There again is another sermon here in verse 8. Notice the language, this language in verse 8 that gives us the entire intent of the Old Testament. Look at verse 8. The Scripture For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, look at this, here we go again, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, the whole thrust of the Old Testament, we are justified by faith and we are sons through hearing the preached gospel. Now, here's another question for us Where do we hear the preached gospel? The Old Testament. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, what did it preach? The gospel. You say, where's the gospel? It's on every page. We are blessed through belief, which means, look at verse 11, the righteous shall live how? By faith. We are able to obey because we have the Spirit at work within us, making us willing to obey. And we're going to get more into this as we get into Galatians, but we know what the Bible says. We—the Bible says that, uh, that the, uh, the, the Spirit is willing, or the Spirit is able, but the flesh is weak. When we obey, we're not obeying to receive a blessing. Here's the point. When we obey, we are operating out of a condition of blessedness that's already given to us. And let me take you back. How did we receive the blessing? Look back at verse 2. Hearing with faith. Hearing is believing. Now, number three this morning. Here's the third point that we have to learn in order to look at the Son and live. Number three. Faith is the only way faith is the only way you know we talk about grace and we say that grace is amazing you know why grace is amazing grace is amazing because it's the work of the Spirit that makes us righteous before God it's amazing because we can't do it there's nothing we can do to make ourselves more right with God there's not one thing Only thing we can do is cling to the cross of Jesus. It's the Spirit that makes us righteous before God. Grace is actualized through faith. Listen, but faith is not a work. Grace operates through faith to bring salvation. Grace is the avenue that guides faith to eternal life. You're not placing your faith in anything that you can do. That's not faith. If you can do it, it's not faith. Saving faith, listen, looks at all that God has done and says, there's not another way. The only way is a way of faith. We live by faith, and in living by faith, look at verse 11, we are righteous. It's not the opposite. Living righteously doesn't bring faith. As we learned earlier, blessing brings obedience. You are not the sum total of your faith. You are not believing in what you can do. You're believing in what Christ has done. You didn't invent the gospel. You didn't, think about, you didn't think about the gospel. It's not the sum of your imaginations. You receive the gospel by faith. And by faith, you believe. And faith is the only way. Just try the other way. You say, what's the other way? Try the other way. You can't live by the law because look at this, look at, uh, look at verse, verse uh, 10, cursed be everyone who does not abide by how much of the law? All things that are written. In other words, as James would make clear later in other places in Scripture, if you violate one principle of the law, you violated everything. You can't live by the law. We can't keep the whole law. And since we can't keep the whole law, our only option is the other way. And the other way is the way of faith. Faith in a God who has wrought redemption for us. How's He done that? Tom read it earlier. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, look at this, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through what? you tell me through what? try again through what? Faith. faith. now some of you are saying that sounds too good to be true and I'm here as a gospel preacher to tell you that's what's so amazing about grace. It's not too good to be true. It's too good not to be true. And here we're confronted with the challenge of faith. Believe on the Lord. Look upon the Son and live. Don't look at the works of your hands. I'm not interested in how much money you give. I don't care who your grandmother was. I don't care how many times you came to church last year when you tuned in to online and when you—none of that matters. Even the best that you can do can't even come close to touching what God has done for you in Christ. And to suggest anything less is madness. Your only hope is to trust in Jesus. He is the remedy for a sick soul. He is the salvation that God has promised from old. Only He can save. Trust in Him today. Jesus said in John chapter 6, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now listen to this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him Should have eternal life. Everyone who looks on the Son shall have eternal life. And then Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Turn your eyes, Christian, turn your eyes, unbeliever, upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon him and live forever. Father, it's my prayer that we would continually look at the sun, continually gaze at the sun and see you in all of your brilliant glory. Father, for anyone here who's trusting in the works of their hands, may this day be the day that they lay it down and say, I simply must cling to what Christ has done for me. May all of us together say, everyone within the sound of my voice, may we say, Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Father, for some, that may be the first time that they've thanked you, maybe the first time that they've placed their faith in you. May they know that a life of faith, trusting in what God has done, is a life that saves. For anyone else, Help us to look upon Jesus and live in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, senior pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.